Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 187, A Feast for Crows, The Reaver. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. We're in a different place, actually. We're in a place we have never been before. Yeah, for so few chapters, Victorian gets around. Yeah, I, uh, he actually really does. He travels that globe. He is a regular globe trotter. It's very, very much like the speed of things in A Game of Thrones. That's a good point, actually, for, for how the Ironborn and Dorne chapters kind of can get some shit. This one's fast-paced. This is a fast-paced POV. In fact, so much that after this chapter, we're basically halfway done with Victorian. Yep. Wow. Yep. Hardly any time to foreshadow the next one. Yeah, he only has four chapters, which I thought were three, but turns out they're four. So. <laughs> he's lucky he's getting that from Eliana. Okay? Honestly, yeah, he really is. If he had been earlier in the POV order, you know, he would have maybe gotten fewer, fewer chapters. Yeah, actually, once upon a time, we thought, oh, yeah, I guess we're doing, what, two Victorian episodes back when we used to double up. Honestly, it's unfair that he gets like one episode per chapter and what Sansa and Theon only got one episode for two chapters. We, we really need to redo those. And that's why Sansa and Theon are still the next POV. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thanks for listening in today. I'm, uh, I'm finding these chapters maybe not titillating necessarily, but I'm still finding them intriguing on this reread, especially reading them in this order, getting really into Victorian's head, his mind palace. Yes, his, uh, I guess it is uh, his mind palace, his mind castle, mind <laughs> ship, his mind ship, if you will. Yeah, his mind ship, his mind victory. Yeah. Yeah. Before we jump into today's chapter, today's mind palace, let's do our housekeeping. First up, Patreon episode this month for our patrons in the stranger tier and above is going to be Meat House Man by George R.R. R. Martin. Meat House Man. I just read it. I had not read it before. Eliana had read it. You may know that about Eliana. She's always read it. And yeah, it was kind of a fucked up little story. Fucked up little tale. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it's, I think, one of his most infamous works. And it ties in with a lot of stuff that we've been discussing in these slew of chapters. I might even make a reference to it today, Eliana. Today. Wow. 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 Changed woman. Change Meat House Woman. Meat House Well, next woman. month, Meat House Woman. Fuck. I just want equality for all of our Meat House genders, honestly. Uh, next month, we will be covering on Patreon for those special Patreon bonus episodes. I believe we're going to dive in. It's been a really long time since we've done one of these, but we're going to do a little discussion on what we know on Victorian 1 in the Winds of Winter. Yes. You know, I I lied, you know, there are in fact five Victorian chapters, kind of, sort of, and I, it'll be my first time ever reading that wins Victorian chapter and that information, so. Oh, oh, wow, okay. Well, I look forward to this. I forgot that you still haven't read a couple of them. Yeah, because again, I had been saving myself for wins, except for, of course, a couple of them, one of which, again, I like to boast I was there because I was when, <laughs> when it came out. But yeah, that was really dumb Every day. to save myself for wins. But it's fun Every day now. Eliana gets farther from God. It, see, it's fun now. It's fun that we have that like 
I've decided I would just read it when we get to them for these because now it's part of this little activity that we have called Girls Gone Canon. Yeah, and you're just edging. You're just edging your way to the wins a winner. Aren't we all, all the time? <laughs> uh, I have missed our wins a winner chats. Excited to return to it. We have been vaguely spoiling a little bit of the Forsaken from the wins a winner in this chapter and the last chapter. I'm sure you might hear little slips of it. We just can't be helped. It's hard to care about Victorian <laughs> without those chapters or anything that happens in this chapter. Yeah, I think that the Forsaken kind of gives weight to, I mean, what ha the Ironborn plot, right? It's hard to discuss mm -hmm. it now without it because you know, and it's leading up to that. And I kind of wonder if that was one of the chapters likely that was supposed to be in dance and then was moved. It's a thick one, too. It's a little wild. It would have been... I think it really works in the long run, though, as a reveal in The Winds of Winter. Like, I see... It's moreover that the Winds of Winter should have been out sooner for that to ride better, maybe. But it's meant to be read as one, I feel like, right? Like, this series together as one piece is brilliant. And that everything, and we're not going to talk about this chapter right this moment. But when the time comes, sometime in the future, someday, you can check out our Forsaken episode on Patreon. Until then, highly recommend poor Quentin's Forsaken essays. Right. He has written many year on Greyjoy essays. He's done a great job at them. And sometimes I'm like, do we even have to do the Forsaken? Can't you go listen to Nauticast episode? But we will bring something different, I'm sure, to the table, if not a handful of poor Quentin quotes. And again, I was there. So at the very least, you'll hear me say that at least three <laughs> times in that episode. You will get that. <laughs> uh, I was actually the one who broke... Who first broke a lot of what was in the Forsaken. But speaking about the future, oh let's talk about the future of our Victorian episodes because we have this been- the state of the union. Teasing. We've been teasing that we have a very exciting guest and it is in fact a very exciting guest. I'm kind of excited. It's one of our buddies. It's one of our friends. It's the only guy in the pun business that could stand a chance against Eliana. <laughs> you know, like he's the person I trust with puns and jokes and with Westeros so to speak. And I have to reiterate, I can't even count right now out loud. Like I can't name out loud how many episodes both of us have been hanging out with them for, right? We've been on their live streams a lot, hanging out with the team over there. But Aziz from History of Westeros will be joining us for the Iron Suitor. I am so excited. He had to have this chapter when we asked him. We actually forged this future for him. We a long time ago we said Aziz has years to come ago. on for Victorian. No, no, we like asked years him ago. what he wanted, and he said Victorian. That's true. So this was oh, that's true. his choice. Uh, I think he might have given another one, but he also definitely said Victorian also. And we were like, okay, and we're like, yeah. we never told him what it was going to be, but here we are. It's now. It's funny because a lot of the beginning of Girls Gone Canon was that, was us going around to our friends going, we can't tell you when this is going to happen, but we just want you to know something's going to happen for you with whatever character you tell us, but you got to tell us now. You got to get in on the ground floor, be an investor. We're a little like George, you know, we're just like, we don't, it's going to happen eventually. We just don't know when it could be. It could be any time. We're just there's so much like George like that. Oh my god, so random. Under Eliana. your chair, look under your chair. 
Yeah, I'm excited to have Aziz on. He, he's great with the histories and great with some of the action and the battle. And I think he will bring an element of flair to the cast that maybe we don't necessarily always have. I'm excited to hear Aziz's take and like why he chose Victorian. I want someone to really... I think I think we are diving deep into these Victorian chapters. Maybe not as deep as if we had like worn a suit of armor and really just fucking drowned ourselves in it. But like... I think that he's going to bring us a good perspective on Victorian that I'm excited to hear. And I mean, I just, I just like Aziz's thoughts. Uh, I don't like playing trivia, ass off trivia with him because I will never win. Like you just cannot win <laughs> against Aziz. It's not fair. Hey, uh, you know what? It's hard. If you go to an, an ass off thing and there's an ass off trivia, you walk into a room. Sometimes that's intimidating. I don't play that shit. I don't do that shit. It's not for me. I just, I can't win against Aziz. <laughs> He's a smart, smart cookie. Smart cookie. Well, we're hyped to have him on. I would also like to say, maybe, I wonder if Aziz has been preparing for this as, maybe some of you know, he does keep aquariums. So, like, he's been really sharing some more about his aquarium adventures recently. And I wonder if, like, is he getting in the mindset? The drowned god mindset. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to ask him next week. He posted a little shrimp, a tiny shrimp. It's so cute. It's foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing yeah. for his entrance to the GGC cinematic universe. The GGG, the GGCCU. <laughs> wow. Why was that so hard? The, the GGCCU. <laughs> You're 10. You're a 10 year old lad. Oh, I was thinking um, like the Communist Party. <laughs> oh, better. Still kind of a 10 year old little lad, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Spring. Springy. Well, That will be the first episode of the month next month for those of you listening live as history is being made with the Victorian episodes. That'll be next month, front of the month. April. Until then, there will be an episode the last week of March on March 31st coming out. Not of A Song of Ice and Fire, though. This will be of a different, a different series. Yes, this one will be... Sailor Moon Crystal Season 1. Crystal, the new rebooted anime, because again, there were too many episodes in Season 1 of the original anime, which we will reference from time to time, but yes, we are leading up to the release of Sailor Moon Cosmos in July, which is kind of like the last season or so of Sailor Moon Crystal, so... Yeah, if you are looking to catch up with Sailor Moon Crystal, you want to watch along, if you haven't watched before, it's a great jumping point. Uh, it condenses a lot of the 1990s anime down into kind of a, a digestible format, right? If you're looking to binge it out and get into it. And there's some great perks of it. There's a couple cons that we'll probably go into when we talk about season one. Though they improved by season three, I'd say. I'm feeling so far on my rewatch. But if you're in the States, that's on Netflix. I think it might be on Netflix a lot of other places. Because isn't Hulu. it Netflix sponsored? It's on, it's on Hulu. Net- okay. okay, so I think that the... Movies, I don't remember if the movies, which are essentially season four and will be season five, are only Netflix exclusive, but you can find Sailor Moon Crystal on Netflix, and you can find it also on Hulu. Hulu also has the original anime. Yes, so check it out. You can watch and chat and listen with us, and next month we'll be covering season two, so more to come on that. Yeah, we also have something special for that one, too. 
Well, let's start talking about uh, more about Victorian. We got some emails and tweets and notes this week. Yeah, our friend Pat emailed us uh, the Snark Night. If we're gonna get official on it, one of our buddies sent us an email and said, "Your graces." Ooh, I like that. I like that. First of all, Grace thanks, is Pat. Graces, God, don't make me do it again. G G G C C U. Did I do it? I think I did it. I don't even uh, know what all the letters stood for the first time around. I just let you keep saying it over and over again. Cinematic universe. The GGC cinematic universe. Eliana, keep oh, okay. up. Coming back to the GGCCU. Pat says, I think Victorian doesn't get dragged enough over the third woman he married being a salt wife. Unless George throws in an alternate definition, Victorian basically war-crimed this person back to the Iron Islands. It's easy to imagine Euron coming to her as he came to Falia Flowers, saying, You're being harmed and I'm on your side. Victorian's grief over his third wife has a touch of Thanos grieving in Infinity Wars. I can't find the words for it. Like, they aren't legitimate feelings. It also reminds me of Always Sunny, the gang finds a dead guy. Victorian, can't believe you're making me kill my wife. Universe, can't believe you kidnapped and enslaved a woman. Thanks, Pat slash the Snark Knight. Yeah, so I absolutely agree. Like, I think that really stands out that this was Victorian's salt wife, especially on a reread and knowing the distinctions between a salt wife and a rock wife. And as Pat said, right, like, this is someone who was war crimed, kidnapped, enslaved back to the Iron Islands. Uh, we don't even know, I think, from where or from what conquest, I guess, like where he got her. And I think that a lot of Victorian's grief, I'm not sure, right? Like, because also Victorian doesn't really, I think, want to analyze that. Like, he says that he loved mm -hmm. her. I don't know that, like, that's true or not because we don't know anything about her because he doesn't want to think about her, right? The same, same way that, I guess, Ned avoids thinking about Liana because is it a traumatic moment for Victorian because he had to kill kill someone that he owned like something that what he felt was his and that his brother took from him right I think you described it as like Sandor and Gregor right last last episode and I don't yeah. say this like putting the trauma on Victorian because obviously like that's ridiculous because it's obviously worse for the the woman that he murdered but I mean I'm just laying it out as like what we're getting on the page because to an extent like that's how it's being portrayed to us or is it like did he actually care about her on some level right same as how there's that mm -hmm. ambiguity of like was she raped by Euron or did she consent right not that it matters for the end result because like death is not the outcome of that should not be the outcome of that and Victorian treats this whole thing as like an extension of his his honor right he's he treats this salt wife as an extension of himself we don't even get her name which i don't know if that's like on victorian or if that's on george because i'm gonna be honest it's a pattern enough with george that like he he does lapse with that in his writing but i i struggle also with like seeing i, I do disagree with it being like thanos's grief in infinity wars um and whether or not those feelings are legitimate. And, and I'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, I think there's something very obvious that she is in a position, no matter what, his third wife was in a position of no power in comparison to Euron, 
or in comparison to Victarian, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And salt lives are, like, they're put through a religious ceremony, you know, dunked in the water to say, you belong to him now, bitch. Like, that's that's it. And they have no power to get out, so there's something interesting in... Like, I think I think there's it's got multitudes and depths, right? The, right? What's great about everything George writes is it isn't just black and white. It isn't good or bad. You know, onion shit, Eliana. But, I, I mean, Victorian, the trauma for him comes from he had to choose in that moment to abandon everything he grew up with and was told was the right thing. His culture, his religion, his everything and go against it. In that moment, he could either make a choice and leave it all take her with him, say, fuck it all, fuck my, sh- like, fuck my huge fleet of ships, mm. fuck my brothers, fuck my riches, I can go make it on my own and reeve on my own with my loyal men, with my woman, and get away from my awful brother. Like, he could have done that, or he could choose to submit, which is what he chose to do, to mm. still keep those comforts around him, right? So, like, in choosing not to do all that, I mean, that's a big moment of choice. Not everyone can make that choice. Like, even... In the opposite position is really where I would usually be thinking this way, right? Like of somebody who has to choose to pick up all their things and go because they're in an abusive situation. Uh, and Euron is abusive. I yes. mean, what Victorian does in turn, be- not because necessarily of Euron's abuse, but that is a part of it, right? Like that is a part of it, of the hurt people hurting people and of the culture. But he made that choice and he still did kill her. And that was in response to his brother. And in response to knowing that he thinks his brother tarnishes everything he touches and being unable to actually digest his brother, his culture, what he's been brought up to do. Like, he can't parse all of those things. The man is only equipped to parse so much. And that's not on him either. That's ignorance. Like, that comes from a place of ignorance for Victorian. Yeah, he 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 doesn't let himself do that because I, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But um, I, I love the way that you've put all of that, right? Like, it's... It is a multifaceted situation, and I don't, again, we're not trying to take away the crime, you know, the blame from Victorian, but, like, this is a book, and we're here to analyze it, and I do, you know, I struggle with, like, the idea of also, I think this is this is kind of tangential, right, to Pat's point, but... This is just me sharing my own shit with the Thanos in Infinity War. I know that a lot of people took that as, like, it wasn't really a sacrifice on Thanos' part because to do that to someone means you don't actually love them. You can't actually grieve them because you don't really love them. And um, I think that, yeah, I agree it's not really a sacrifice on Thanos' part, right? It wasn't his sacrifice to make. But I also am like, are those feelings of loss when someone is not there anymore legitimate? Could you have really loved them? And like, this is something that I've discussed with fangirl Jean, whom we had on for our Jamie chapters back then, and whose insights like I really appreciate and I love talking about media with her. And because it helped me understand that like, and this is coming from my own like childhood shit, And I don't want to put this on romantic relationships or something that has to do with sexual or marital relationships. This is mostly in the context of parental and child relationships. But I do think that it is possible for you to love someone, like for a parent to love their child and to still abuse them and hurt them. And I think that drawing the distinction of saying that when 
you experience abuse. You can say that acts of abuse are not love, but it's hard to say that someone who is abusing you doesn't love you because when we do that, we remove the ability for people to articulate what is happening to them and to be able to understand that like this person in my life who's supposed to like love me or protect me or whatever is hurting me and that's not okay because you end up creating these mental blockers of this person loves me, therefore they cannot actually be hurting me. They cannot actually be abusing me. And I think that this is one of those um, this is one of those gray areas, right? Like I think that a book series that I would highly recommend that explores the concept of parental abuse and love is is the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemison. And I highly recommend that as like a great way of seeing like the the facets of that. But that's more of my own baggage. No, that's great baggage to bring. Thank you for, for <laughs> I, dumping your baggage here. I have traveled over here on a ship with my own baggage. No, I do. I, I'm glad you bring that perspective because I think, again, that's also multifaceted. And coming from a perspective of a couple of my best friends have some some you know, really big conflicts in their life that have come from their parental abuses. There's one that is like kind of stalking me instead of him to try to get in contact with him. And it's very mm. frustrating and sad Yeah, uh, because you could see some of those facets of those both sides. Like how does it coexist, right? Like there could be love, but also there could be abuse and abuse does not mean love. And love doesn't always mean abuse, you know, these things just don't always go hand in hand and they can be separate things that have happened to build a person. And the blocks of Victorian, for example, seem to kind of have some of those facets. And looking at, I mean, Infinity Wars too, there's, but we're not doing a podcast about Infinity we're Wars, not, so I'm not going to go into too, it at there's all. There's too much. If you want to hear That's Chloe talk about the Marvel Universe, go listen to our friend's history of the MCU. That's a cinematic yeah. universe. <laughs> H-M-C. Anyways, but... <laughs> God I'm not going it. there. God damn it. It's a bit. Yeah, it's a it, it just is a little more complex, I think, in a lot of facets. A lot of facets still wrong, just complex. And that's life. Life is fucking complex. Yeah. And it, and again, I don't want to speak for you know, situations of sexual like domestic like intimate partner violence, that that kind of mm -hmm. violence or abuse because that's not the perspective that I can share or bring to that then i don't want to like say that you know that is love or abuse or not i'm just talking solely from the context of thanos mm -hmm. well this purple little face <laughs> big face it it's little, kinda big. I was like it's big right it's like it's eggplanty space. it's got those weird lines anyways thank you pat for your email it became polarizing for me and eliana we had a whole discussion we had fun thank you so much yeah thank uh, you don't forget, you can always send your little emails in, your little notes into us. We'll read them. Keep your ears open for that email address emails. towards the end. Or your big ones. Yeah, like <laughs> our friend Maddie. Uh, keep your ears peeled yeah. for that email address later on in the app. Until then. Like I said, I have still one more email up my sleeve that I'm saving for something else Ooh. in these chapters. Watch out. Until then. Let's jump into our lightning round, starting with The Drowned Man, a pretty big chapter to miss. Aaron Greyjoy wades into the waters and the voice of the drowned god declares a new king. Brienne 4. Brienne fights the remaining mummers and lays a grave for Nimble Dick Crab. What a real one. <laughs> the Queenmaker. 
the best laid plans go horribly awry for Ariane Martel. They really do. Yep. That should get its own episode, too. We're going to do Ariane chapters next. Actually, it's not a bad idea. Arya, too. Arya must dispose of her identity and belongings if she wishes to join the faceless men in full. Elaine won. The veil is great. Except for when it isn't. Cersei 5. Cersei flexes her paranoia and remembers Maggie's prophecy. Oh, your favorite thing. <laughs> Brienne 5. Brienne embarks on a journey with Septon Maribald. Samuel 3. In Bravo, Sam is saved by someone familiar to us. He seeks a remedy for Aemon. Hold on. You were talking about earlier Victorian. He could have just absconded and been like, fuck this way of life. That's what Sam does with Gilly. If you think about it in a way, he's like, I'm not gonna... I'm going to rescue yeah. this girl. That's true. That's a good point. Sam, our boy. Jamie 3. Jamie smacks the fuck out of Red Ronnet Connington. Cersei 6. Cersei restores the faith militant. Always sunny music plays in the background. And now we're at the Reaver. Action stations, welcome aboard the Iron Victory, where things are not feeling so victorious for Victorian as he's rewarded for his reaving with his brother's dirty deeds. Uh, we open the chapter with drums pounding upon a naval theater. I have to say, Aliana wrote this line here, this beautiful, glorious intro line for me, and it was, it was everything. It was cabaret. It's giving cabaret. It's giving Broadway. Thank you, Aliana. It's arts. It's avant-garde. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the drums pounding do make me think of Catalan's chapters, actually, in a way, right, that we came off of in Storm with the drums pounding. But this mm. is a more internal, that was more internal and intimate kind of war scene, right? All held within a castle. But here it's a huge production. It's on the open water. Everything's banging and going off. Yeah, George was like, we have the budget in this chapter. But you know who did it? HBO, who never showed us any of this. <laughs> Got him. Uh, roses are on the banners. A white rose on a red escutcheon below a gold rose on green. Is this the bachelor? No, it's reaving. The Iron Victory is taking a Reachman's ship. That's what the roses are all about. We are ramming the ships, oars are snapping, Victorian is jumping gunwales onto another ship, and most of the Reachmen sailors actually have no armor, so... These are no Iron Men, Victorian thought. They still fear drowning. Yes, we're setting up the where, the who, the why. We're in the Shield Islands at House Sari, a white rose on red. I love the idea of the white rose on red because as the language will soon suggest, and I'll point out once more, that white rose will turn red today, right? Oh, With blood. Nice, blood. Nice. Hey, George wrote it. Okay, I just am here to decipher. I'm just the apostle. Sari used to be the defense on the Mander against the Reaving Ironborn, and here they are standing their ground. We only get a little information in the Storm Appendix on House Sari before now. They're not in the World Books. They're not in Fire and Blood. It makes me feel like they were sewn <laughs> in by Georgie Georgie into the plot for all of this to be done and for them to kind of grow with the Iron Islands. I think he was like, shit, I need some more people to, to fight them. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, yeah, he... Victorian is all like, they still fear drowning. I just thought that was amusing, and I realized, I guess Victorian's technically probably been drowned before, right? At least, like, for his baptism, for the for the drowned god ceremony. 
Yeah, absolutely. At least once, if not more than once, like when returning. Yeah. You know, sometimes they go for a little baptismal dip when they get back from their big battles, oh, it right. seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victorian goads the Reachman to kill him, and then we have this line of From all sides, the rosy warriors converged, with grey steel in their hands and terror behind their eyes. Their fear was so ripe, Victorian could taste it. Oh, I love that, especially knowing what we know about the Reach's fertility when it comes to, like, crops, right? That Victorian mm. can almost taste their fear. What was the last time we think about fruit in the Reach? Asha on a barge, peaches with Carl, or oh. uh, Robert bringing Ned all that fruit, saying, oh, wait till you have fruit from the arbor. It's so ripe, so sweet. So are the women, Ned. Definitely reminds me of that, but here, everything is kind of turned negative. I mean, this is our first real, real look at the Reach, right? Like, yeah. intimately. In Feast, in general, so we see Old Town, which is, it's fine, but it's academia. That's a college town, right? This right here is the Reach. You're out where things are fertile and gorgeous, but everything's already being turned to hell. I love the duality of the roses. The rosy warriors. They're rosy because they're from the Reach, but again, their blood's going to be rose red real soon. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. Absolutely. And also, he's kind of like, I don't know, are they even real... Real warriors, which we find out, hashtag some of them. Some of them. Um, he even respects some. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victorian does a well-choreographed fight scene, holding them all off until his Iron Man arrive as backup. We're not going to go through all of it. Uh, it's Wolf One Ear, Ragnar Pike, Newt the Barber with a flashy entrance. I love that he has this ragtag group of men. And none of them have real notable names. They're all kind of bastards that have grown up and been able to make a living for themselves, right? You have a mm. pike. Their names are great. George had too much fun here. Rock and roll. <laughs> he had a lot of fun this chapter. Uh, I love it. Victorian goes for the captain across the deck. Sir Talbert Sari, son and heir of Lord Osbert Sari in the Shield Islands. They do a one-on-one -on -one well choreographed fight again on a moving ship. A lot of those in this chapter where Victorian catches a sword in his iron fist, then rips it from Talbert's hands, flinging him into the ocean after. Now Victorian pulls his axe loose, and the white roses fall back before the iron tide. Yeah, again, George, George had a lot of fun with some of the language in here. Yeah, I, I would think it, it's, you know, it's a battle scene. It's not for me always. I'm not always into battle scenes, but this one's fun. Yeah. And the language, he keeps it fun, right? Uh, I think he's had to have thought about some of his favorite historical kind of books he's read. Fictional books were talking about battles and the War of the Roses and different things. I'm sure there's lots of great, great language in there doing this. Mm. Some of the men keep fighting, gathered in a ring, and Victorian respects them for dying instead of yielding. But he's still going to kill them. The drowned god had not shaped Victorian Greyjoy to fight with words at King's Moots, nor struggle against furtive sneaking foes in endless bogs. This was why he had been put on earth, to stand steel-clad with an axe, red and dripping in his hand, dealing death with every blow. He is kind of sounding like my BF here, my boyfriend, Sandor Clegane. Sandbob dog Clegane. Killing is the sweetest thing there is, Victorian says. Yeah, it's like Head empty, no thoughts, just vibes. 
<laughs> in this. I mean, I guess that's why he like actually Jamie feels kind of the same too, right? About about fighting and killing. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, there's more fighting. There's a lot of fighting, as you said. Uh the last man to face him is maybe a smith, based on the fact that he has shoulders like a bull, which is how he's described, and one arm is more muscular than the other. And you know what? It's not him, but this description reminds me of Gendry. Oh, yeah, with the bull. Yeah, I feel like is the text being like, remember that kid? And (laughs) every now and then, because I think, I mean, obviously, Gendry comes back. Also, George has said that he will. And... Victorian wishes he could deal with Euron as simply as he dealt with all of this, especially this this smith. And, you know, it's so true. Dealing with interpersonal conflict is a lot harder than just using your fist. Not that that stops some people, though, again, I guess he's one of those people, right? He did kind of try to deal with this conflict using violence already, but turns out intimate partner violence by killing his wife was not actually the answer. Much wow. Glad he learned it after the third one, you know? I don't think he did. I still think he didn't. I don't know that he learned a lesson yet, besides you're on bad, which is true, but not in this way. It's still true, but like, and? And? Yeah. This is not an or. This is an and situation, Victorian. Yeah. He's, right, like every problem is a nail, right? You give a man a hammer or something like that. I I don't remember how the saying goes. I'm bad with idioms. You give him, if you teach a man to fish. Um, anyway, the deck is slick with blood and guts, and the barber says the day is ours. The rest of the sea is full of wasted ships, with half a dozen of them racing back to the mander. Victorian, like Sean Yu in Mulan, says to let them go and tell the tale, give that warning. But unlike Sean Yu, is not a feminist, which you can tell from this line. Once a man had turned his tail and run from battle, he ceased to be a man. And, hmm. okay, well, Sean Yu is the only one who's like, yeah, absolutely, that's the warrior in the mountains. I don't care if it's a woman. That was that was feminism. And, yeah, so, so you can see from this line, right, like how manhood in the Iron Islands, I don't know if it's really even that different from, like, some of the way that it's seen in Westeros, except for maybe Dorne, so much as it's, like, taken to the extreme, right? Uh, if Westeros already turned it up to 11, like, Iron Islands is turning it up to 20, and and that idea that manhood must be earned through bloodshed. Or necessarily that it should be lost through bloodshed, mm. right? That by losing, that that kills you, or by running, that that is what takes your manhood away, your masculinity away. I mean, it all comes back to the broken man speech from this very same book, Right. Uh, and the man breaks, he turns and runs or crawls off afterward over the corpses of the slain or steals away in the black of night and finds some place to hide. They go on to quote how, you know, gods mean nothing, kings mean nothing, home means nothing. Once a man runs, think of someone like Beric Dondarrion or Sandor Clegane. Are they less of a man because they ran and they went off to find a new cause? Because Sandor protected his inner peace? Does that make him less of a man? Sometimes you need to protect your inner peace. Sometimes you need to mute words on Twitter, you need to block people, and you need to protect your inner peace, Sandor. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. That's what Victorian should have done and did not do. Block. You're on. Block. (laughs) You're on. Block, 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 block. Instead, he's just blocking, you know, his own thoughts. Which is not good, bestie. That's repression. Yeah. 
repression and regression they go hand in hand yeah actually though probably i don't know i'm not i'm not a not a psychologist as victarian removes his armor post battle he asks if anyone had fished out cerceri who would be kind of worth a good ransom from his father or high garden but unfortunately no one knows what happened to him see using his brain a little bit there Victorian says rip to a real one and thinks Sir Sari was brave, almost ironborn. I do like that about Victorian in a way, right? Like, while no, he sees, he sees that as emasculinating to run from battle, he respects that Sir Sari held out, you know, to protect his mm. people, etc. Yeah, he flung him into the sea, but like, just like a domesticated animal, what, what's Victorian going to do when he actually catches his prey, right? Hell, with Danny too, what's he going to do? My god, yeah. if he ever caught her. Come on now. Uh, he may as well play with his prey again, right? And that's what I feel like he was ready to do with Sari. Yeah, he was like, mm, I guess we'll ransom him. Which, now that I think about it, is that that diff- Well, it's different from selling someone into slavery, because then you just sell him back into his life of privilege as a lord. So that is different. Never mind. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was kind of funny that he's like, did we get him? I mean, I know I threw him overboard, but, like, someone should have gotten him. I was like, why would you throw him overboard? But, you know, he was, I guess, caught up in the moment. And it's smart that he sees he could exploit the castle at Highgarden for That's much true. more gain than just murdering everyone, which is kind of the problem for the Ironborn, right? Like, that's one of their big conflicts, is not knowing when. Like, vampires. Yeah. Like, don't suck all the blood out. Yeah, just like I, he he can see some of these political situations. We'll talk about it later. Just like I think he would have been like, but what if we didn't give Moat Kaelin to Theon? Had he been there, <laughs> the captured ship goes to Ragnar Pike, who names a dozen, not twenty, good men to crew her. The captives are to be stripped of arms and armor and receive medical attention, except for the dying ones who get thrown in the sea. The ones who ask for mercy get their throats cut first because it's better to drown in seawater. I just thought this was an interesting moment, right? How he says that the ones who ask for mercy amongst those who are already dying should, you know, get this, like, dishonorable-looking thing, right? I th- There's so mm. much about the Iron Islands that is wrapped up in this idea of honor that is, again, taken to the extreme versus Westeros, right? Like, like I think that you can liken Victorian murdering his wife to to honor killings and stuff like that, and... Anyways, the captives probably wouldn't understand, like, you know, that their throat being slit is not an act of mercy. Uh, They'd probably perceive it as such, uh, and maybe even appreciate it to the extent that you can appreciate being murdered faster. I don't know, like, you know, you were talking about Sandor earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Victorian sees it as very dishonorable, because again, better to drown in seawater, so you're closer to the drowned god. He struggles, he, he, he doesn't this is like a cultural gap that he doesn't ever really want to cross yeah interesting because they just would see it as dying yeah i think it's something that george did well right showing the differences in those cultures yeah distinguishing them very clearly yeah very clearly because literally and i'll bring this up again in a bit the last chapter is in the sept Right, so you're coming from a culture shock. It's really great. The last chapter is way quieter. Little culture shock compared to this. Uh, And in a way, I mean, Aaron throughout this chapter is basically just trying to be the high sparrow of the Ironborn, you know? Yeah. Victorian looks for a count of his ships, knights, and lords taken captive from the crew. Also the banners for his home decor. 
I love that the Ironborn really act like they're so different, but they're way more feudal than they think, and and there's lots of traces of it throughout this chapter. Even the act of taking hostages, I mean thralls, right? Like, thralls to them are literally what hostages and wards taken after battle in Westeros are. Yeah. They're they're not entirely too different. I guess they, like, take way more, right? Because Mm -hmm. they might take common folk to... Some of which they basically, they're basically enslaved, but some of them aren't. Yeah, some of them are treated, but that's the same of Westeros, right? Some of them are treated normal. Some of them are treated like slaves. Some of them are treated like servants. Some of them are treated well. Just depends. Just depends. Newt calls this a great victory, but Victarion sulks inside about it being a victory for his great new band name, the Crow's Eyes and his Wizards. Because, you know... Euron won the king's moot because his family's full of idiots, except for Asha. We have this line of, Euron had seduced them with his glib tongue and smiling eye and bound them to his cause with the plunder of half a hundred distant lands. Gold and silver, ornate armor, curved swords with gilded pommels, dagger, valyrian seals, striped tiger pelts, and the skins of spotted cats, jade manticores, and ancient valyrian sphinxes, chests of nutmeg, cloves, and saffron, Ivory tusks and the horns of unicorns, green and orange and yellow feathers from the summer sea, bolts of fine silk and shimmering samite, and yet all that was little and less compared to this. Now he has given them conquest, and they are his for good and all, the captain thought. Poor Victorian, the one thing he never thought to give them. Ah, the irony, right? Because what do they need with all of this finery? But, that said... And maybe this is coming from a place of playing a lot of Civilization VI recently. They're sick of their culture being behind. Those bitches are, the Norse especially, or like, my god, they'll come up to me and they'll be like, can we have your luxurious items? Our people really want them. And I'm like, what the fuck are you going to give me? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, no, go get your own luxury items, dicks. You should have landed here first. Anyways, play Civ, it's fun. They're sick of their culture being behind, right? They're sick of being second best to another culture, why don't they get to have these nice things too? Something that really stood out to me, though, was that there are daggers of Valyrian steel, multiple, and there are also two other Valyrian swords present, right? Nightfall and Red Hmm. Rain in the crowd here of people fighting. So it's weird because I'm like, Euron has sought out all this Valyrian steel. Everyone thinks it's really unnatural, uncommon, can't be found, but Euron found it. Euron went out and sought it. Perhaps because they go seeking it, right, and others don't, choosing to believe it's dead, which kind of reminds me of Daenerys, right, that they're now also seeking out Daenerys, who everyone's like, that's not real. There's no such thing as dragons. Just go take it. Just go get it. Yeah. That's not real. No dragons. Women in power. That's not real. (laughs) 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 So funny. But yeah, I I do wonder, like, is it a lot of daggers? How many daggers is it? He does... You know, not to spoil too much of the first he does find a lot, a lot of Valyrian steel and some interesting stuff, but also it's like not all the Ironborn, I guess, have it. It's mostly like him. Euron, yeah, who has it, which is part of why it's so seductive. And I don't know, it is interesting that the Ironborn do want all of these exotic things, right? They want to own it all. Yet they don't want to go out and get it. Not that, you know, it's good to steal it from the other people. But they don't want to venture far from home. So they're like, wow, amazing. But like all of them technically have a lot of the skills, except for apparently 
navigation, which we'll talk about in a second, but uh, that's what that's what makes Euron so powerful, right? Like he uses all of these trappings of exoticism to give himself power. He uses the mystery of it to make himself seem powerful and like I think relies on, I don't know, Orientalist biases or some shit to like make himself seem like yeah. amazing and and like, ooh, ooh, look at all this shit he knows. And it's like you y'all got ships. I've got a lot of commentary on like remembering kids I went to school with. That I'm not going to go into anyways, but I'm just thinking like, you know, that mix of Hot Topic core and like Japanese stuff and like half otaku, but like before it was like It wasn't cool back then, though. That, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we paved the way. We fought for the acceptance of anime. <laughs> oh my god. Amongst the Real youth. activists. Yeah, I think people like really need to, you know, honor their <laughs> elders like me more. <laughs> Oh, so you are defending Euron. No, I'm just kidding, Eliana. Oh I was God. kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> Victorian is obviously super bitter about all of this, right? Because he won the victory, not Euron, who's just chilling at Oakenshield while he's out there battling for his life. He stole my wife and he stole my throne and now he steals my glory. Obedience came naturally to Victorian Greyjoy. He had been born to it. Growing to manhood in the shadow of his brothers, he had followed Balin dutifully in everything he did. Later, when Balin's sons were born, he had grown to accept one day he would kneel to them as well, when one of them took his father's place upon the sea stone chair. But the drowned god had summoned Balin and his sons down to his watery halls, and Victorian could not call Euron king without tasting bile in his throat. I was reading this, and this stood out to me so hard. Remember we were just talking during Bran about every time he skin-changed Hodor something that we noticed coming up. Bile, to be exact, coming up that he could taste bile in the back of Hodor's throat. This just makes me wonder, is this like a trauma response to Victorian remembering Euron skin-changing him? Maybe he's possibly been skin-changed because, especially in The Forsaken, we'll get more info, but Euron seems to have some bonds that he's betrayed with his brothers, with several of them. It just makes me wonder if this is a trauma response, like if he's tasting that bile and remembering once when Euron skin changed him. That's interesting. I, I wonder if he tried but didn't succeed. And like, as we, as you were saying, Victorian does do a lot of repression. So that's something that could be like a memory that he represses. He has this sort of like Pavlovian response or something to, to Euron in general with that and it's also interesting because like now that you say that it makes me think of again Veramir's chapter and Thistle mm -hmm. biting off her tongue to try and and eject him from her body and all of Euron's crew having no tongues mm -hmm. I and would believe woman. that would be because of the skin changing yes yes I, that's what also what I was thinking with the dusky woman that we're going to talk about with the tongue like that to me says, hmm. Yeah, she's lots here. Lots to think about. Yeah, she's lots here. Lots to think about. Yeah, there's definitely more Euron present. I feel like in all of his brothers' lives than the text lets on, and there's also something about Victorian being stronger but weak-willed towards his brother, whereas Euron's other siblings are all kind of weaker physically than him. Victorian doesn't seem to be that much weaker than him necessarily. Victorian's kind of brawny, right? 
not as much of the brainy type, so it's just interesting. Like, maybe he wanted him to be his arms and legs at one point. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, don't know, I kind of wonder if Euron is actually good at fighting. He just, like, he could hold his own. He's not, like, amazing at it, probably, but I wonder. Maybe. I, I don't know. We haven't really seen it. I mean, unless he's coming down as the deck comes down with flames behind him, you know, with sand snakes on his ship. I don't want to see it. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. I that Talk about repressed memories. I repressed that. You know what? That was actually kind of like if they had to burn down the books, that was a fun scene. It was okay, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Uh, It was stupid how it all (laughs) meddled together. But I mean, at least they did something. I don't want to think about it anymore. Repress, repress. Or that- like his last scene. I'm shoving that back down. <laughs> so after the battles, Victorian craves wine. He heads below deck to the cramped cabin, aft, to the sex slave that Euron gifted him, the dusky woman, mm. who also does not have a name. Uh, and you're talking about Euron and, and her. I know a lot of people have theorized... I've seen it come up a lot that Euron is skin-changing the dusky woman, and therefore, I guess, I don't know having sex with Victorian, but I don't, I don't know, but I just wanted all of you. I had to see this theory a lot, so now all of you have to know it. That's just fair. Thank you. Yeah. In George fashion, she's described as wet and ready, and that Victorian took her twice in quick succession. And then, like, there's this, like, this weird fake out there where when he's done, she's, like, described as very bloody, but turns out it's from Victorian's hand, which, as you all know, he caught that sword in. And and I just think it's a weird fake-out, right? With that fear of sexual violence because of we, we know about Victorian's past and a lot of Ironborn culture where rape is very normalized. And it's like, I mean, it's normalized in Westeros in general, but especially within the context of, of battle and reaving. But, like, you, you wonder, did Vic, Tarion hurt her like he did to his murdered wife but then there's this weird moment of like relief I guess when you find out that that's not ha- what happened like he didn't hurt her any worse than having just already raped her twice mm-hmm. and weird moment yeah also that he remarks that she's wet and willing already yeah it's weird it's it's all hmm. weird yeah So he forces this poor woman to listen to him as she washes his wound with boiled vinegar. And I have to point out this line that comes to you from Eliana, who should win, uh, you know, I mean, uh, an amount of awards. But instead of going to a therapist, he tells her about how Euron's plan was good in terms of giving them the mander as a path. Real Kendall Roy shit. I saw Dad's plan, and it was better. I saw Euron's plan, and it was better. Oh my gosh. In the past, tis the season, babies, tis the last season. Uh, oh, yeah, in the past, the, Sunday. the mander was guarded and served as an alarm system full of armed fisher folk and old men standing watch. Then people would come from the Shield Islands with long ships to chase the raiders out. I like how this is all tying into the Tyrells with where they are in the capital right now and how they're throwing their stock in with the Lannisters. Not much of a choice left, I guess. And... Their world's kind of being destroyed over here, right? Like, this is the mander that they sail their little pleasure barges on, and they weave little flowers in their hair, and they do little, you know, guzzle some arbor wine happily. This is their dream sea. 
and it's getting destroyed, and it's only going to get worse as we get into the Winds of Winter, right? Because the Reach is probably going to be decimated because they're going to be too busy playing ball with young Griff and going, uh, you know, going toe to toe with some of the other Reach lords. Yeah, the you're starting to see like that the whole Tyrell power structure is very much threatened. Right, like the whole the whole reason people come to the Reach is because, like, as you said, you got pleasure barges, you got you got orchards, you got a lot of cool shit, you got wineries, and and that's all that's all about to be really not as great. Yeah, burned all down. Yeah, and raided by reavers. Yeah, yeah, the library's cool. Bummer, <laughs> a bummer for all. For all. And besides all of this, Euron had sent Torbald, Browntooth, and the Red Oarsmen with longships as bait for the Shield Islands, so by the time that Victorian had got there, only some fighting men remained. The setting sun hid their arrival from the Greybeards in the Watchtowers, and they had wind at their backs, allegedly thanks to wizards. Yeah, so these wizards are apparently the ones who helped Euron sail far away into the west, and like, Victorian's just amazed by this. He's like, I can't believe, like, why would he go all this way how do we how do we sail and navigate this you have to stay near the shoreline because like what if you get lost and so i'm like does he not know how to navigate using the stars like that this is a legitimate question that i have because like then mm. it means that the ironborn considering that they are cultures so known for seafaring amongst readers that they built their entire culture and lifestyle around it are very behind them technologically if they don't have this very basic knowledge. That is interesting, and it does kind of pop out, especially after Davos's chapters. Yeah, like I feel like this is normal, common knowledge amongst sailors, uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's not for for the Ironborn, which is weird, considering that they they are so advanced allegedly in this. But I don't know. I, I wonder if it's also just more not knowing where things are in the West. Um, like that, because it sounds like this trip is the trip Alyssa Farman made, right? Uh, or tried to make, or whatever happened. Or so East, it sounds yeah. almost, yeah, it, it's similar in that way. So I don't know. I, I wonder also if, like, once you get to unknown, uncharted territory, maybe that's really what he's saying, because I find it hard to believe, like, in Westeros, sure. But if you're going somewhere where you really don't know where you're going and you're going to come across, like, disease or, like, dinosaurs and sothorios, you don't know where the fuck or how the fuck you're going. You just keep going west, you know? That's true. Yeah, you could. That's true. There are You need dinosaurs. to find a place to rest. <laughs> it yeah. does seem scary. I don't know. Then there's, like, the poison butterflies. There is a lot of perils out there that, you know, could be made up, like, that they were in our real world. But also, considering dragons and, I don't know, other magic is real... And the lands, the the world of ice and fire told us this shit is real. It's probably real. It's probably really probably. dinosaurs and crazy shit. I'm just saying, maybe he's being cautious when you go unknown places, uncharted places. Yeah. Yep. Fair. Fair. I don't think they need to like follow the shore if they're going to the north. Yeah. They've been there. I don't know. I I mean, like he's made it far enough, right? Like, so he must have navigated yeah. there, right? When he converges with. <laughs> Tyrion, so exactly. Someone's knows. Well, maybe, or maybe Euron knows nothing. 
Whoa. I mean, he did have to hire wizards. That would be very interesting too. That he knows absolutely nothing about that. Wizards. I don't know. I'm sorry. That just like makes it sound so funny. Like you hired like a clown for your child's party. I hired these wizards. <laughs> uh, like Fizbo for Modern Family. Uh, we have a passage. He still needs to fight his battles, though. Victorian insisted. Wizards may be well and good, but blood and steel win wars. The vinegar made his wound hurt worse than ever. He shoved the woman away and closed his fist, glowering. Bring me wine. He drank in the darkness, brooding on his brother. If I do not strike the blow with mine own hand, am I still a kinslayer? Victorian feared no man, but the drowned god's curse gave him pause. If another strikes him down at my command, will his blood still stain my hands? Aaron Damphair would know the answer, but the priest was somewhere back on the Iron Islands, still hoping to raise the Ironborn against their new crowned king. Nope, the barber can shave a man with a thrown axe from twenty yards away, and none of Euron's mongrels could stand against Wolf One-Ear or Andric the Unsmiling. Any of them could do it. But what a man can do, and what a man will do, are two different things he knew. I love that last line. Uh, also, wow, so that's how Newt got his name. Good to know. Uh, and yes. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think that that last line of what a man can do and what a man will do, being two different things, is it's just such a big part of what A Song of Ice and Fire in general is exploring. And I could give examples, but... There's just too many, and I don't feel like it. Just, read the just, books. Yeah, just read the books. This is a reread, and like it happens all the time. It has a lot of the when can a man be brave energy to mm. it as well. You yes, know? yes. It's got a lot of that. And there's that line there that if I do not strike the blow with mine own hand, am I still a kinslayer? IDK, ask your brother Euron, right? Because that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the defense that he's hiding behind. He knows that if anyone asks him, did you kill Balin? No, even if he gets found out for probably who killed Balin, which we probably think is a faceless man, then he could say, it was not me. I did not do it. That's his defense. Yeah. It's kind of funny because he also, I don't think Euron cares. He's like, I don't fucking know. Like, there was the other kin that I actually did slay with literally my own hands. <laughs> so, like, what's no one asked about that. What's one more? You know, what's yeah. one more after all the other ones? So. But, but the question of, like, where does culpability lie, right? How far back does it go, I think, is a big part of A Song of Ice and Fire. You have that question with Bloodraven, you have that question with Stannis, and even with Renly, right? Like, is Renly, would he have been culpable of being like, go fight my brother at, like, dawn? But, you know, does he, is he guilty then still? And, I, I mean, I don't know, probably. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say that if you think about the story of David from the Bible, and when he was like, go send Bathsheba's, that was her, right? Bathsheba's husband mm -hmm. to the front line so that he'll die and I can marry her. God was pretty mad at him for that. So I think it counts. That's true. I think it counts too. I mean, I think that the thought was there, you know, the premeditation was there one way or another. So, yeah, but. Victorian is also, he is still also, he, I guess he's trying to figure that out, right? Because he has, he's trying to figure out where does this guilt and culpability lie? Because it's, it's his question of like, 
Well, if I blame Euron for the death of my wife, even though I'm the one who killed her, then he's like, well, then I would have to be guilty if I gave the orders for someone else to kill Euron. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's really no other. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's it. Yep. After Euron was elected, because Aaron called a king's moot instead of letting Asha inherit, fucker, he prophesied to Victorian that Euron's blasphemies would call the, the drowned gods wrath, and they should do something because we are still of Balin's blood, are we not? Victorian wisely points out, Euron is too, Dingus, and again, Aaron's king's moot did this. Aaron crowned him, and Aaron's like, yeah, but I'd uncrown him to give it to you, the only one strong enough to fight him, brother. Victorian says this was the drowned god's will, and Aaron says this was not their god, but sorcery. There is actually a very interesting philosophical and even like theological discussion going on here between Victorian and Aaron, like both of which come in quick succession, right? Like in terms of where does culpability lie for this? And then also then uh, to what extent like do we see this election as the will of God, especially with Aaron? being the one helming it. Mm. And as I see Victorian like parse this all out, it's kind of something that's more vexing about him and frustrating because, you know, Victorian reasons all this out and gives really great rebuttals to what Aaron says. And he even susses out Euron's plan later. We see him analyzing the Mander plan earlier. And I think that Victorian might actually not be that stupid. Uh, not as much as people think now that I like reread him, which is surprising to me and it is not going to stop me from making fun of him and calling him stupid. But he also, I think, <laughs> might be not not as dumb as like we've we've kind of accepted overall. Um big agree. I think he's more like ignorant. He is overall. ignorant and part of that is his own fault. Which is stupid. And and but... like you know, what he is, is he is very, like, deeply misogynist, right? He's deeply xenophobic and racist, as we've seen. And I think that he really embodies this, like, conservative mindset where he's so deeply entrenched and invested in certain power structures. And again, failing to see how those structures end up disenfranchising him and cause him pain. And, and it leads to him misunderstanding things like when Asha suggests them sharing power when it comes to the Seastone Chair or or the Dothraki Sea later on dealing it because he can't understand the concept of different possibilities because again like the structure of his world relies on it. It relies on certain things just are, not what they should be, what they could be. There's no like world of possibilities there. And and that's why when Asha suggests sharing power, he thinks that she's proposing marriage and starts trying to see her sexually before remembering her as Balin's daughter and as a little girl because people who are assigned female at birth can only be two things to him, right? They're either women and therefore mm -hmm. equated with sexual objects, or they are little girls and therefore undesirable. The only way to make Asha not a sexual object and undesirable is to think of her as Balin's daughter and a little girl. That's the only- those are the only possibilities for- for- anyone who's female and then something like the dothraki sea even if it we know it's not a water sea um it's his to sail grass or not because anything that exists in west in essos right can't possibly even he can't fathom it rivaling the strength of the ironborn and it must be something he can conquer because that's the reality that he's been told and taught 
And, and the things that he can't understand, especially when it comes to Euron, I don't think those are things that are beyond his understanding. I think that he could understand it if he wanted to, but they are things that he's unwilling to understand because then he would have to reckon with the cognitive dissonance of his own guilt and also his sense of self as an ironborn, as Victorian, uh, as, as, as a Greyjoy, and then realize that the structure that he relies upon for his reality is a faulty one and that the old way that he's chasing is insufficient. Like he'd have to completely just like rewrite his sense of self and his reality to fit any of that. And, you know, I again, like he's really just not the brightest bulb. I'm not going to like say, whoa, you know, Victorian's like Samwell Tarly level and shit, but I will re I will liken him to a Tarly in a second. <laughs> like he's not that dumb. And I think it's seductive to think that he is because he sees the world so horribly and like reframes and distorts his understanding in order to fit like this sexist and xenophobic lens. But then that I think plays into the myth that like only ignorance or a lack of intelligence is why someone would believe those things when it's actually complacency, his lack of empathy, again, because his reality d relies upon it. And that because that questioning, it would threaten not just like their power, but literally their sense of self and how they understand the world and like lead to an existential crisis which he's like on the verge of constantly and thinking about it like this i actually think that victorian might be the closest pov that we have to randall tarley who is regarded by many characters as one of like the greatest leaders or military minds in westeros including characters that are in this chapter yeah and to piggyback on that i would say he's not stupid yeah. he's a soldier a good one he's a second slash third son yeah he's a good soldier he's a second slash third son he takes orders we've already read it in this chapter he was born this way he was born to be subservient he was born to not lead he's i mean more charitably his lack of ambition and obvious lack of drive is really present in these chapters that i mean at the end of this chapter it's a huge turning point for him that all of his life he's been subservient to his brothers in the end of this chapter he makes a choice and says i'm not doing that anymore and that's the first time that victoria decides I could fend for myself. I do not have to be loyal. I don't have to suck them off every five seconds and like do their bidding for them and give them the gold. Like I can go get my own gold. I could have done this all the past, whatever, 40, 50 years of my life. It's interesting when you say that because now I think of him then as a worse version of Barristan. That's what I was just thinking with somebody that obeys. I was thinking of Barristan. I was so just the we're, we're so we're, in my brain. Get out of there. We're so connected. We're in, we're in sync. We're in, she she she's backstreet's back. She's all right, skin changing me. I'm tasting but no, I'm joking. Wait, no, uh, you're the one maybe tasting but am I skin changing you? Whoa, so much to <laughs> uncover here. Yeah, interesting. In a way, it, it really does make me think of some of my uncharitable Barristan takes. I'm sure I'd like to someday look at those chapters again. I want to redo. I legitimately want to redo this. You know, we were babies. We didn't know what we were doing, first yeah, of all. We didn't have all this context our to first, build you know, from our, this reread. No, I, I really... Uh, we've changed. We've, we're changed people. <sighs> yeah. I feel like... But I see yeah. a lot of Barristan in him, and him and Barristan, of, um, you know, it comes back to following those rules. I mean, at the end of this chapter, when he decides that he's going to go there for his brother and says he's going to go for there for his brother, and when he gets there and chooses to go for Daenerys on his own, I mean, that's his, he he's breaking, right? Like, how can you look at people 
and emasculate them for leaving battle when that's what you're about to do. You're going to battle mm. for your own. Yeah. He's fight- He's learning to fight for himself, which is, you know, that I think about it last last episode, I was like, Victorian doesn't have a logo character arc, but I guess that's not true. Now he does. I was wrong. <laughs> you know, if he wasn't a slaving, assaulting, xenophobic, racist, basically rapist, if he wasn't all those things, he could almost be a himbo. But he's all those things, so he's he can't be a himbo. And, Sorry. and like I said, like he he sees like the fabric of everything. He understands how it he understands <laughs> so how it all works, but he's he's too afraid to like really, really dig into there. And Barristan is finally mm-hmm. kind of doing that now, but he's afraid to a little bit because he's like So maybe I should have let Ares die? Did I do a bad thing by doing my job? I don't know. Damn, I hope I have a few more revelations by the time I'm their ages, because I'm getting worried about me. (laughs) Well, I will tell Uh, you now, you are doing much better than Victorian. Thanks, babe. The Ironborn had been swayed by talk of dragons and the sound of the horn. Aaron says, hashtag not my king. He says the drowned god favors bold men, not cowards, and that he will remove Euron if Victorian won't with his voice. Okay. Okay, Aaron. I'm. Oh, mm. okay, Aaron. I have my voice, the priest replied, and the god is with me. Mine is the strength of the sea, a strength the crow's eye cannot hope to withstand. The waves may break upon the mountain, yet still they come, wave upon wave, and in the end only pebbles remain where once the mountain stood, and soon. Even the pebbles are swept away to be ground beneath the sea for all eternity. Pebbles? You are mad if you think to bring the crow's eye down the talk of waves and pebbles. The ironborn shall be waves, not the great and lordly, but the simple folk, tillers of the soil and fishers of the sea. The captains and the kings raised Uran up, but the common folk shall tear him down. I shall go to Great Wick. To Harlaw, to Orkmont, to Pike itself. In every town and village shall my words be heard. No godless man may sit the sea stone chair. He shook his shaggy head and stalked back into the night. When the sun came up the next day, Aaron Greyjoy had vanished from Old Wick. Even his drowned men knew not where. They said the crow's eye only laughed when he was told. A lot right here in this little passage. First of all, I just imagined Aaron Greyjoy preaching his sermon, you know, praise it, praise the drowned god. He was getting into it. Victorian does not understand metaphors. It's very plain. You know, that's something he just has never chosen to want to get into. Aaron sure did let this happen by calling that King's Moot. Don't know what he thought was going to happen. And... Uh, sure is putting a lot into his voice. I do love that he's basically saying the meek shall inherit mm-hmm. the earth. Yep. In that last bit of the passage, saying all the meek are going to rise up and inherit the earth. And if you compare this with the last chapter we talked about a little bit ago, uh, the chapter right before this is the chapter in the Sept with the Sparrow. And so it's a much louder war being fought in the Reaver versus mm. the last chapter. But interestingly enough, like, Again, the sparrow is a lot like Aaron here. Aaron's trying to go be the high sparrow and stir up all this shit and kind of change what's happening on the sea stone chair. 
the salt throne. It, the, the warfare in the last chapter is kind of simmering beneath the pages, right? Where here it's boiling in a pot. It's their own little dance of the Krakens. The cans of the Krakens. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's also, so I absolutely agree that it's like the High Sparrow and talk about that in a sec, but it, there's something you said earlier of like, Victorian is very strong, but also kind of, you know, cowardly. He submits to Euron. And whereas Aaron is not seen perhaps as as traditionally strong or masculine in Ironborn culture, he's afforded he's afforded um, respect due to to religion and being a Greyjoy. But even if he's like a weakling physically, this is a, I think this is actually kind of brave of him. Even though he did fuck around and find out with that king's moot, mm -hmm. this is very this is very brave of him. And to stand up yeah. against his brother and abuser, like. Good for you, Aaron. And it, it it doesn't like all really pan out for him, but for a while there, it doesn't pan out for him because I do think for a while there, what he was doing actually was effective. You were talking about the High Sparrow, and and it's it's exactly why Euron I think does fear him and capture him. Other than you know I don't know Euron has his own strange wants, and Aaron's voice and social power is in like miniature. A demonstration of the actual power of the drowned god and and therefore the faith of the seven as you said like you know we've said this before mm -hmm. and this is very much what feast for crows is about in many ways along with all the other things people think that the faith has no like because the faith has no magic it has no power right it can't bring people back to life you can't skin change and shit but i think i the faith arguably maybe even has the most power in especially southern westeros and in some lights for most people. I would even say, like, could you argue that it's not that dissimilar from skin changing of the old gods when that religion is used as a form of control in that way? And Aaron going out there, he's just another exploration yeah. of Varys's riddle. Like, who do you, who do you, who does the soldier follow? Yeah, the Ironborn do a great job of splitting that up here. Yeah, and Victorian's like, but me, I, wait, I'm the soldier? I am the one doing things? I have the power? The priest, the wizard, the soldier, what do you choose? He's choosing himself. Do it for yourself, girl. <laughs> oh my god. Self-care. Self-care, Vicky. <laughs> Victorian finds himself thinking of Aaron and Baylor Blacktide's warnings, too, from the last chapter, and of Euron's madness. Baylor also says, not my king, and tries to sail home, but Victorian captures and delivers him to Euron, who then has his crew cut him into seven parts. <laughs> For the seven gods of the faith, this is such a waste of good ass. I'm so mad it's right like, now. This is a very brave heart. As a reward for having done that afterwards, Euron human trafficked the dusky woman to Victarion, though she had already been trafficked before by a slaver headed for Lys. Victarion says he doesn't want Euron's leavings, but Euron says he'd killed the woman otherwise, and Victarion relents. I kind of wonder, like, does Victarion think it would be his fault if the dusky woman was killed? As he's wrestling through yes. the memories of killing his wife, and therefore, like, where does the guilt lie if I send someone to kill my brother? <laughs> I mean, you're on set. If you don't take her, I'm just going to kill her. There's another one. Yeah, it's that it's a manipulation that you're talking about. That control. It is control. Even even if it doesn't seem like it, that's also part of. Every everyone's just being hurt here. There's more of that that comes up because tied in right in the next passage, we learn that the dusky woman comes to him with her tongue having been torn out, otherwise undamaged and beautiful. Her skin is brown as oiled teak, but sometimes when he looks at her, 
he thinks of the first woman his brother gave him to make a man of him. Really interesting line glossing over. And then he has the woman fetch him another skin of wine, wanting to use her again, but finding he's unable because he's thinking about the first woman his brother gave to him. Uh, and right there is interesting, right? You have all of the kind of plots of, you know, like guys taking each other to their first strip clubs and blah, 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 or guys giving someone their first sex worker. What comes to mind for me here is that Euron is controlling Victarion's body from a young age, right? His first time with a woman was not allowed to happen organically or out of love. It was out of Euron telling him to. Uh, whether through obvious means or more psychological means, Euron has been controlling Victarion's body from a very young age. And there's even something here that's very Tyrion and Jamie, just in the execution of Tysha, right? Of whether lying about whether or not Tysha had loved him. It almost has those painful feelings of what Tyrion goes through with Jamie of not knowing the truth until, of course, murdering his papa. Papa. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's that, and it reminds me even of little of, like, because you're talking about the control over Victorian's body, even like Tywin forcing Tyrion mm -hmm. to rape yes. Tysha, and, and that also being its own, like, assault. And. But but I, as you were likening it to, it's a darker version of the men go out to strip club thing, right? Like, it, it even reminds me of what, Aemond and Aegon in mm. Pass of the Dragon, when they're like, yeah. Yes. When, when they visited together or whatever, around the brothels. And yeah, I I've, that's a great way to call it out of this is something that's been going on between the two of them for a while. And... I wonder if Victorian thought he enjoyed it at first, but the memory is now tainted because of how things went between the brothers. Or does he know if he never wanted it at all? That's also true. Yeah. And like, and he was forced to because it's that performance of, again, masculinity in the Ironborn yeah. culture. No choice. You have to, you have to be a man. You have to... Exert perform. dominance w over women. Yeah, perform. And, yeah. Well, Vic takes the sour red that the dusky woman brings on deck. Um, He goes up deck, so I'm kind of like, if he was going there anyway, if he was leaving this room anyway, couldn't he have just gotten himself a fucking drink? Anyway, he drinks half of it and then pours one out for the men who died, but, like, literally that is actually what he does. And much of the Iron Fleet stays at the mouth of the Mander until the Count returns, where they captured 38 ships, though the Ironborn, the Iron Fleet had lost six, and then they return to Lord Hewitt's Town on Oakenshield. Yes, the town name is Lord Hewitt's Town. I love that. It reminds me of, like, Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> it does. It does. You know? Just with yeah. the little town names. I don't know, they're silly. And... Oak and Shield, of course, we've talked about, has a little bit of Lord of the Rings in it, a little bit of Norse in it, right? And I have to give you all an update. I was very sick this week. I'm on chapter 10. I am on chapter 10 of the Ring Lord books. <laughs> Being sick changes bitches. It changes a motherfucker, you know what I mean? But Thorin, in battle, uses an oak branch to defend himself after his shield's shattered and becomes known as Oak and Shield, a dwarf who appears in an old Norse poem called Valispa. Hmm. Check it out. Read up on it. Read up on it. I'm not a Lord of the Rings podcaster. Probably never will be. <sighs> unless, unless, I mean, you can, but not with me. Glossing over Little Miss Flip Flop, Sandal Girl over here. 
Sandal Clegane. <laughs> oh my god. Victorian ponders killing his brother again. And then he remembers that kingslaying and kinslaying are a bad thing. Then he blames Asha. He's like, why didn't she give me her votes? Balin's blood is in her, but she's a woman. And I'm like, let's just back up a second. She did offer them if you worked with her. Uh, hmm. I take it you just do not see her having any value. So, as we as we know, he really kind of doesn't. He's like, she's she's fun as my niece. And <laughs> earlier we had Aaron and Victorian invoking that they have Balon's blood, and that's why they have to stand up against Euron because they got to be brave, like like Balon. And we see. That, I mean, that discussion was kind of a little bit more, I guess, about inheritance. Having Balin's blood is about that. That's why we see this here with Asha. But again, the way that Aaron invokes Balin's memory does really remind me of the Stark children drawing drawing strength from Rob Stark's mm -hmm. memory. And also it that all of them share Balin's blood, kind of like not the way that the Asha does, to be honest, because that's just not how genetics works, um, comes back to that A Song of Ice and Fire argument, again, of nature versus nurture, about like what being from a certain family obligates you to do, right? what it means about how you grow up, but also that just because you're, I don't know, born a kraken or a dragon or a wolf or whatever, that people within a family, they're still very much individuals, right? And that your family name does not have to be your destiny, but Victorian is kind of letting it be. Until the end of this chapter. Yes, he chooses, he manifests his destiny soon. Oh my god. Again. That's great. Who knew? So much north in these little squids. They're not that far away. Not far. Asha had run away after the king's moot, and Victorian was glad that she did, hoping she'll wed a northern lord and live in his castle, away from the crow's eye. Aw. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny he can't imagine that she might like be able to find safety on her own, but at least... I mean, he does, I guess, care. He's like, get the fuck out while you can, girl. Good for you. I mean, you know, I'm white as shit, so I've got a lot of I've got a lot of white relatives, you know, that think the same way. And sometimes you just gotta chuck it down to at least they care. Yep. You I know, think he, he does. at least they care. They reach their destination, and the wine helps to dull Victorian's headache. He would have asked the Hewitt's master to look at it, but he had been killed. Oops. Around again, things that Asha like exceeds at in warfare that they do not get is she's like, okay, well, I'll keep the lady of the castle and her servants alive so that I get service from her and them. <laughs> Duh. Around the castle with a harbor reminiscent of Lord's Port, but twice as big, a bazillion kraken longships are at port, beached on the shingles or at piers. As Victorian and the crew leave the Iron Victory, the town is kind of strangely still. It had been looted, torched, lined with corpses and crows feasting, named after, of course, the book. Survivors chase off the birds, then put the dead in the wagon for burial, which disgusts Victorian because he doesn't understand cultural competency. How will the drowned god find them, buried in earth, in the ground, instead of the watery falls? Halls. Instead of the watery halls. They pass Silence, whose prow's eyes seem to follow him, and nearing the shore, he sees a line of women and children who are about to also be trafficked. But Victorian is confused. He's like, I don't understand. We don't do slavery in the Iron Islands. Only a thrall. Bound to service, but not chattel slavery. Children are born free, as long as they're given to the drowned god. And 
Anyway, thralls can't be bought or sold for gold, only through the iron price, and that all of these people then instead should be either thralls or salt wives. Him, we only do service slavery, not chattel slavery. This is so weird. Yeah, he's he's very like confused, and he's like, I don't understand. Like, this is not Things the slavery changing. that I know. Um, now, uh, he's saying too that you know, as long as the children are converted to the drowned god and that they live through the ceremony, that's the next part, right? Obviously, <laughs> the drowned god, you got to get the dunk and blah, blah, little wet willy action going on. Or no, it's not wet willy. That's wet willy. So swirly. Oh my god. <laughs> wet willy and a swirly. Uh, to become part of the drowned god's life, you got to get a wet willy and a swirly. Uh, he means obviously the children born there, as long as they convert to that religion, grow up, stay ironborn and alive, but they got to follow that religion, which this is a technique I use very often in CK2 and CK3, Crusader Kings, the games, to convert my enemy's children when they rebel against me and I crush them with my steel-mailed fist. I take their children to my court. I invite them to court and then I put them under the tutelage of people from my culture and my religion and convert them through time. And they can't do shit because they pulled a rebellion against me. So, take notes, Eliana, take light, notes. Light ethnic cleansing, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, effective, awful. Listen, CK2. you don't want to hear about my Targaryen games, okay? Targaryen CK2. games are... You're... Why? CK2, Civ, they should just, they should just you know, sponsor they us. They should sponsor us. All of them should just sponsor us. Uh, my roommate, you know, he's got to hand it to me. Every time I play CK2 and do a Targaryen run in the Game of Thrones mod, he's like, oh, you're scary, because I'm like, everyone's gonna have a dragon. I'm going to create the ultimate <laughs> Dane Targaryen Stark child that's gonna have dragons. He's like, oh my god, you practice eugenics. I'm like, no, I don't. Leave me alone. I just want them all to have dragons. Uh, anyways, effective and awful. Moving on. That's uh, that's not enough to pay for Euron's lifestyle, though. Like, the regular thrall life. That's not enough for Euron's lifestyle or for his goals, it seems. How do you think he got these shiny things? How do you think he pays for them and upkeeps them? It is not through the plain old boring thraldom happening in the Iron Islands. Yeah, this is the scene This is the scene in, uh, what is it? Thor Ragnarok. Where do you think all the gold comes from? Yep. Slavery. For, for mm -hmm. Euron. Yeah, he really made it seem so glamorous to everyone. And I'm like, this isn't glamorous. You didn't, like, that's not the iron price. So it's really interesting that people are like, yeah, we love this. When this is going oh, against on. their, like, values. But uh, anyway, the king ordered it, though. Ordered that they were going to be slavers now, I guess. And Newt the Barber is like, Thrones are slaves, it makes no matter. Their men could not defend them, so now they are ours to do with as we will. And Victorian wants to point out that it's not the old way, but there's no time because now people are just thronging to congratulate him. And he's happy about it for like a moment until one of them praises Euron's daring for trying to find the dragons. And then Victorian shouts, no paparazzi, and heads back to the castle. And at the castle... The Greyjoy sigil is flying atop the towers. The gates are burned and broken. Iron Men and Euron's crew guard it. Yeah, Victorian comes upon Jorald Goodbrother and Old Drum speaking quietly with Roderick Harlaw. Interesting. I've wanted to try it out. <laughs> New hoots a greeting and wonders why Roderick is so down. They won. Roderick's like, these are rocks. The shields don't equal Harlaw in size. We've won stones, trees, trinkets and the enmity of House Tyrell. 
Newt's like, well, what can a rose do to a kraken? High garden, replied the reader. Soon enough, all the power of the reach will be marshaled against us, barber, and then you may learn that some roses have steel thorns. Drum agrees, saying Lord Tarley accompanies Lord Tyrell and has heartsbane. Victarion thinks they should come. He'll fight them and take their Valyrian steel swords. He'd love if the Lannisters came as well, because Krakens rule the sea. He'd love to try fighting the Kingslayer or the Knight of Flowers. That was the sort of battle he understood. The Kinslayer was accursed in the eyes of gods and men, but the warrior was honored and revered. That stood out to me, right? Of how... Victorian is interested in, in also, like, you know, Loris's reputation. He's quite young to have such a reputation and be high-regarded by someone, I think, like Victorian, who takes a lot of pride, as we can see, in his fighting skills. But also, especially, that he wants to fight both Jamie and Loris, considering that Jamie in this book, that he and Loris are actually very similar people. He sees a lot of himself in, <laughs> in how Loris is growing yeah. up, and... Uh, also, considering that Victorian is dealing with this moral dilemma of kinslaying and kingslaying as his dire mm -hmm. desires, you know, regicide, and he doesn't really seem to have anything, he doesn't hold it against Jamie being a kingslayer, right? Like, when he thinks Jamie's name and kingslayer, in a way, like, it almost sounds to me like as this, like, cool title of respect as opposed to an insult when he thinks it. He's kind of jealous. Yeah, I don't know, like, if that's, like, really there, if I'm reading it into that, but I feel like it's there. I think he's kind of a little jealous of it because yeah. he did the thing that he doesn't know how to do yet. Oh, good point. And well, Yeah, I mean, that's, like, ultimate disobedience, right? Like, he's doing, like, especially when he, we think about Barrison's story, too, in, in comparison. Breaking his vows. Yeah. Roderick assures them that they'll come, which is why they sent ravens. Newt thinks Roderick is a nerd with milk blood, but Roderick Sorry. gives zero fucks. Roderick is such a great voice of reason in this chapter against all of the idiocy going on because he sees the truth of it all, that they aren't enough people to hold the reach, right? Like, you're on sorcery? That's different. They don't know about that. But they aren't enough to hold the reach. When the Roses and Lannisters return on land, their power won't keep. Yeah. This one's for show. This is totally a battle for show. It's a fake, hollow victory. Ooh, interesting, because his his ship is victory, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, iron. <laughs> I I love Roderick, but that's such a great point, right? Like that, none of this is gonna hold. Euron's willing to sacrifice everyone for his like strange whatever his fucking goal is. Big giant blood transmutation circle vibes, and <sighs> yeah, I I just realized as we were starting this chapter earlier, I was like, oh, Roderick the Reader, Victorian the Reaver. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I didn't even think about. Nicely done. Yeah, but next, next chapter he'll be the Iron Suitor. It's not as fun. But <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Whatever. It's fun, this one. And we love Roderick. An Ironborn feast with people decked out in plunder is already in progress, like left-hand Lucas Cod and Quellen Humble, who upcycled some tapestries into cloaks. Or German Botley, who's wearing pearls and garnets over his Lannister breastplate, which is, I, I think this is actually a look, though. Sounds very cool. Andric the Unsmiling wears rings and then comes in with a woman under each arm, and the captains are eating off of silver platters. Then suddenly Newt- Amazing. Yeah, right? Suddenly Newt's tune changes, wondering, like, wait, how I don't understand. How come we didn't get any loot, but we did all of the work? And Victorian's like, we have the glory. And Newt's like, glory is good, but gold is better. And- 
Here is Victorian trying to convince himself right now that his cultural values hold more weight than material impact. It's all he's got in the world. It's hard because it's like, it's like getting mad at the shift manager, right? Instead of the CEO. Yeah. Like, don't take it out on Victorian, but you are on the wrong team. That's what Newt decides. He's like, I'm on the wrong fucking team. Jump yeah. ship. Yeah, he does. He does. Victorian shrugs and he says, you're on Promise You Westeros where you're going to have gold, but he's hungry. He could have sat on the dais with Euron, but Victorian would rather not. He chooses to sit with Ralph the Limper, captain of Lord Quellen. He says, and Lord Quellen says Victorian should have an island for that victory. Hotho Harlaw said the knights to have Grey Shield, which is confusing. The knight faced off against all Grimstone in one-on-one -on -one battles. Some yielded, a seventh man failed, and finally on the Septon, finally the Septon decided the gods have spoken and given up the castle. Hotho thinks that's fine, though, because then he'll be the reader's heir, musing upon being Hotho the Humpback, Lord of Harlaw. Hmm. Well, Victorian is just wondering how he'd fare against a Valyrian steel blade and that he'd beaten Harris Harlaw a lot when they were young. Also, that Harris and Roderick, who was Balin's eldest son, had been fast friends back then. And I also think, I don't know, I, it feels like we get most of the characterization of, like, Oshantheon's siblings do their uncle's POVs than theirs, which makes sense. The like doesn't even remember them. but That's interesting. There is a lot of characterization of them in here. And it's we get a tiny bit of the uncles, but you can tell the gardening on them, right? Like yeah, There's a little yeah. bit of Euron back in Clash, but not a lot. Yeah, good point. The feast was good, because we are a food podcast. The wine was of the best, and there was roast ox, rare and bloody, and stuffed ducks as well, and buckets of fresh crabs. The serving wenches are dressed finely in wools and velvets, because it turns out they are Lady Hewitt and her ladies. The daughters and good daughters, some as young as ten years old. Lord Hewitt is at the dais, dressed up but tied to the chair with a radish silencing him. It's not funny. She's not laughing. <laughs> She's not laughing. Um, I'm not laughing. This is a fucking cartoon. It's like a pig, you know? Sad. I actually thought that when, when I was I was like, feels very cartoony. Hewitt's bastard daughter, Valia Flowers, who used to wait the tables and eat with servants, is sitting upon Euron's lap. He's giving her a bunch of hickeys and saying, then he says, Valia's worried about the ladies' clothes, so they must all disrobe, even the crying ten-year-old. Not so cartoon now. No, definitely not. We have this line of, he shames Hewitt as he once shamed me, the captain thought, remembering how his wife had sobbed as he was beating her. The men of the four shields oft married one another, he knew, just as the ironborn did. One of these naked serving wenches might well be Sir Talbert Sari's wife. It was one thing to kill a foe, another to dishonor him. Victorian made a fist. His hand was bloody where his wound had soaked through the linen. I'm like, dang, Victorian is actually more worried about... Lord Hewitt's shame and dead Cersei's honor because of like maybe his wife being among them than he is about the present crying women and girls who are forced to be naked. It's the only way he can relate, right? Like he has no capacity for any sort of sympathy or empathy towards women. We're seeing that every single day here, every chapter yeah. at GGCHQ. GGCHQ. And some letters in view. HQ. <laughs> Exactly. The extended cinematic universe HQ. Definitely he can't 
sympathize or empathize for them. He can only understand what it would be like to be in Hewitt's seat or in Sari's seat. And mm-hmm. being, you know, cucked in all ways possible all the time. And this is basically, it, it makes me, it's kind of twisted Cinderella shit, mm. right? Like, if Falia Flowers, if Cinderella was, like, decided to go evil instead of good. And then also, it kind of reminds me of, like, what if Ramsay was born a woman? And what if dumb Eric was also a woman? And what if, you know, other si- you know, like, what if this is like some nega femme Ramsey shit of what he would do. You know, like, I want them punished if he was a woman who had no real power, but suddenly had an opportunity to have power. Yeah, probably. I wonder, I wonder if he would have, like, found, I guess, some other way. Like, obviously, as you said, right, like, Ramsey, born as a woman, would have much less societal power, much less power than he did. Unless Euron showed up at his doorstep. Yeah. Freeing her. Ramzet. Oh my god. Ramzetta Stone. Uh, honestly, I think Ramsey could also be, like, in my opinion, a woman's name too. Yeah, actually, I didn't think about that. Got a ring to it. Huh. I don't think I've met a Ramsey IRL first name. I know someone with the last name Ramsey, but not first name. I don't think I have either. I just think of, I don't hope to. I just think of, like, Ramsey's, which is very different, and a pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> so... The captains are now chanting Euron's name again. Euron gives a speech saying he's given them a taste of what it means to take all of Westeros. He goes, we shall feast before the fall of night. And, oh, I get it. It's because, like, the name of the book is, like, about feasting and he's the crow's eye. Oh, George, Mm. having so much fun. (laughs) Also, just to get a little grand here, I also thought, of course, of night falling, you know, like the long night. Especially because soon he'll chat with Victorian after dinner and have that allusion to Darth Euron from Bloodraven, right? And flying, having flown as a child. So I I think something else is stirring in a foot and he thinks he's going to bring the long night, maybe, huh? We don't know. We don't know. Anyway, he makes Harris, Lord of Greyshield, Andric, Lord of Southshield, Marin, the Lord of Greenshield, and Newt, the Lord of Oakenshield. Newt is wary. Victorian thought that the lordships would go to Euron's men, like Stonehand, the Red Oarsmen, and Lucas Cod. A king must be, needs be open-handed, he tried to tell himself, but in another voice whispered, Euron's gifts are poisoned. When he turned it over in his head, he saw it plain. The knight was the reader's chosen heir, and Andric the unsmiling, the strong right arm of Dunstan Drum. Balmark is a callow boy. But he has Black Heron's blood in him through his mother. And the barber. Victorian grabbed him by the forearm. Refuse him. Newt looked at him as if he had gone mad. Refuse him? Lands and lordship? Will you make me a lord? He wrenched his arm away and stood, basking in the cheers. And now he steals my men away, Victorian thought. He could have been your Davos, Victorian, but you don't got shit to give. Just glory. You thought that would be enough. Just glory. Yeah, and that doesn't pay the bills. Yep. Everyone can see him doing glorifying things, gloriful things, but does that put food on the table? Iron on your arms? No. Nope. Nope. I mean, I guess it could have. Exposure. He didn't think to, I don't know. He like, he sees it, right? He sees the plan, and I thought that was very astute of him, but he doesn't, you know? Yeah. He's not ambitious, as you said. Mm-hmm. Euron demands wine from Lady Hewitt. 
to lead men in a cheer for the new lords. And then we have this line of, there is no wine so sweet as wine taken from a foe. Someone had told him that once. His father or his brother Balan? One day I shall drink your wine, crows I, and take from you all that you hold dear. But was there anything Euron held dear? Big, uh, now my straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink <laughs> I your milkshake. There will be blood. <laughs> there actually yeah, will be. For real. There, re- there really will be. For real, for real. Uh, it also though reminds me of like Tyrion from A Clash of Kings, who is also another younger brother, just like Victorian, mm-hmm. uh, going, I will hurt you for this. I don't know how yet, but give me time. A day will come when you think yourself safe and happy and suddenly your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth and you'll know the debt is paid. But I mean, it, it, it is a little harder, you know, for Euron. It, it's a good question. Like, what does Euron hold dear? Yeah, I'm feeling a lot of Tyrion in these Victorian chapters. Victorian? Like Tyrion's Victorian? Oh my god, Vic Tyrion? Tyrion. Has a nice that has a nice ring to it, mm. doesn't it? Hold on. Vic Tyrion. Uh sorry. It just sounds good together. I don't know. Uh yeah, I, I'm feeling him a lot. I'm feeling his mental state a lot coming through for where he is in dance through Victorian. It's gonna be interesting to see them on a page together, right, yeah. someday. And regarding what Euron holds dear, personally, I want to quote a great American film. I want to quote some cinema myself, since you just did some cinema. And I'm going to quote Speed Racer 2008, which I highly recommend you all see. I saw it recently with a couple patrons and some friends for an early birthday gag. It was a blast. But I want to quote the great villain, Mr. Royalton, and replace everything he said with boat terms. It's a great speech. Oh you got to watch the movie. But that's what reaving is about. It has nothing to do with boats or captains. All that matters is power and the unassailable might of money. That's what Euron cares about. Power. Mm. Power is power. Yeah. That's what he fucking cares about. That's it. That's that is it. How do you take that from Euron? I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. Hmm. Euron says that they'll sail again tomorrow, so they need to prep by raiding these lands. The wounded will help row, but others will remain here to support the new lords. Torwald and Red Oarsmen will bring back provisions, and they're going to hunt dragons. And Roderick dares to ask, when? All right, since the dragons are all the way, like, over there, they are far away, and autumn is soon. Euron has a plan for this, right? It's, I won't go. I'm sending someone else, because who cares if he dies? Oh, well. Ha ha ha. Good plan. He warns of hazards along the way, wondering if the first storm would scatter them. A smile played across Euron's blue lips. I am the storm. My lord, the first storm and the last. I have taken the silence on longer voyages than this and ones far more hazardous. Have you forgotten? I have sailed the smoking sea and seen Valyria. Every man there knew that the doom still ruled Valyria. The very sea there boiled and smoked and the land was overrun with demons. It was said that any sailor who so much as glimpsed the fiery mountains of Valyria rising above the waves, would soon die a dreadful death. Yet, the crows I had been there, and returned. Have you? The reader asked, so softly. Euron's blue smile vanished. Reader, he said into the quiet, you would do well to keep your nose in your books. I just... I just love Roger questioning him. 
and and this entire passage about the trappings of power but also like i mean you're on speech here it, it is iconic you know we can't not put it in power is power lord roderick oh my god oh my gosh um that's what he said yeah the first storm and the last and i'm like mm, i bet he that's another one of those lines he rehearsed i'm the first lightning round and the last <laughs> unassailable might of money Victorian pushes that Euron didn't answer the question of when, okay, and Euron then talks about inflation and how slaves cost more now, so they're just going to sell them and buy provisions, and Roderick pushes back on that too, and he's like, wait, I, we're slavers now for dragons that no one's seen? Like, this is not part of our culture, and thank God Roderick said it, even though Victorian like, wanted to and didn't, and others agree, like Ralph the Limper and Quellen Humble and Frolag the Strong, who says that they should just take golden dragons from Highgarden and Alvin suggests the Mander and Red Ralph Stonehouse suggests Old Town the Arbor and some fruit metaphor he's like well just take their fruit and Yorin says why take the fruit when you can take the orchard and I just thought this was uh. kind of fun with the fruit and the trees and you know playing on this idea of the forbidden fruit of knowledge you know the tree of knowledge language around here yeah, and coming back to the tree that is the opposite of the weirwood, right? The black and blue trees out east that make his lovely little LSD he likes to take, mm -hmm. his shade of the evening. That's great, considering that's the the negative version of the weirwood, as we've discussed before. So yeah, kind of fun. They're both right? still He's very knowledge, but yeah. corrupted it. Yeah, He's corrupted the tree of knowledge. I, I think that the Undying did that themselves pretty well, honestly. And he's into taking that corruption. Yeah. Red Ralph says they want the arbor, and people join him in cheering for that. Amidst the shouting, he leaps down and grabs Falia. Victorian watches him and sees it like he's fleeing like a dog, and that his hold on the sea stone chair isn't as secure as he thought, since the men don't want to go to Slaver's Bay. And these are honestly apt. Like, the last little bits of Victorian in this chapter are kind of smart. Like, he's actually really, he's getting it. He's like, oh, Euron actually is nothing. Like, he's fake. To show Newt that Victorian isn't mad about him taking the not lordship, mad. he drinks a wine with him. Yeah, which, uh, okay, not. it is kind of sweet yeah. in a yeah, way. Yeah. And I'm glad that he, he took the time to because it is his number one henchman. And he knows he has nothing to give him. I mean, that's part of being Euron's brother and losing to Euron for kingship. Newt doesn't have options. He can't be mad at him. All Newton has is reaving and being good at reaving. Like, that's what's gotten him this far, just like Victorian, right? So punishing him for being good at it and holding him back would only grow more resentment and cause him not to be loyal to Victorian. Again, one of the sad, smart things he actually knows he has to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. I appreciate that Victorian is happy for his friend. Like, he, he saw that it made him weaker in that moment and that it is a risk because, like, Euron <laughs> is, like, 40 chessing it. But he's like... I mean, you gotta support your friends, even if you don't support your wives, I guess. Uh, sun sets and people do the finger dance. And Lucas Cod rapes one of Lord Hewitt's daughters on the table and her sisters scream and sob. And I don't know why this is called out here. Is it like meant to show us that it's normalized in, in Ironborn culture and Victorian doesn't do anything about it? Or is it meant to show us that like Victorian is like perturbed by this display is he only perturbed by this display because it's in service of euron's like shit or is it because he actually like there's a part of him that thinks like it's bad when harm is done to people but then that would mean having to acknowledge that like women are people and that what he's doing is bad actually <laughs> but I, I i'm not sure i'm not really sure yet what the scene is doing other than i mean it could also just be george being like look at how terrible the ironborn is 
don't know. I think it's there's a little bit there though, like because I think Victorian is at that precipice of understanding, of being able to break through, and he's not going to. No. <laughs> like I think that much is fucking clear. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to break through, but he's at that point where like because I mean this is the fork in the road. This chapter is the fork in the road. How do you deal with your brother? And looking upon this, you're like, this is wrong. I know all of this is wrong. Like, this isn't right. This isn't usually how we do it. Why is he going against the old way? And he does choose to break, but not for that. That's not why no. he breaks fully. Mm. But also, it's like, I don't think he's, again, ready to confront why he's breaking. Why he necessarily is breaking. Because it's that back and forth, the coin flipping in his head where he's like, no one's as a curse as the Kinslayer. And he's like, no, my brother was chosen king, though. And he's like, but no one's as a curse as the Kinslayer, though. And it's just like, he can't choose it while it's spinning in his little brain. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's hard to go against, I guess, your culture. It really is, though. Yeah. Euron's son calls Victorian to his brother. And Victorian's drunk now, remembering his dead wife, blaming Euron, even though he did it. He follows his nameless nephew, all of them are, leaving the sounds of ironborn raping, pillaging, partying behind. Euron had taken Hewitt's bedchamber, where Falia lies naked on the bed, snoring. It's gonna be me soon. <laughs> Euron turns Victorian into his therapist, saying, When I was a boy, I dreamt that I could fly. When I woke, I couldn't. Or so the maester said. But what if he lied? What if? What if? Euron suggests, maybe everyone can fly, but they won't know unless they try. Like leaping from some tall tower. Victorian's like, I wish you would leap out of that fucking window, though. <laughs> he, like, Lol. I think, did he say it? I don't remember. He might. I think he might have, I think yeah. he says it. Which... He's sick of his shit. He's like, then leap out that window. Yeah, which, you know, nice. Good for him. Good for him. And. If only it had worked. <laughs> And also, like, you know, speaking about leaping from some tall tower, A, I mean, maybe you do have to do that because, like, technically, in a way, that is kind of what Bran did. He was thrown, but, like, you know, tomato, potato. And B, is that why Euron chooses, like, maybe to attack Old Town? Like, does he think that... I think so. Yeah, is this a riddle about the high tower, which arguably probably does have people practicing magic beyond, you know, all the people doing stuff in the Citadel? Is he looking for something in the high tower? Or is he, like, is he going to try to jump from the high tower? I do think that whatever his big battle will be in the Winds of Winter, it'll probably be taking place from he'll be on top of the high tower mm. uh, versus possibly Marwyn on the tower across from him, right? Whoa. At the Citadel, because the Citadel Tower is exactly, like, across from there. So it'd be interesting to see Marwyn have a standoff with him and probably lose with them on each. And of course, I don't know, at the same time, like, I could see him, yeah, taking the High Tower, taking Malara and Lord High Tower, and, like, locking down them magic bitches and taking their shit. And if they are magical and if they have shit happening up there... Who's to say he doesn't just show up and say thanks for the head start? <laughs> Is you know this the two towers? Uh, uh, this might be the return of the two tower king. But then isn't but Marvin's gone now? He's like it doesn't mean he won't come back in time. He could. I mean, he probably won't. He might. You know, he's got he's got people who know how to use the stars to fucking navigate. Maybe <laughs> he can make a win. Uh, no, I think you're on to something, though, there. You're I've, on uh, I've definitely been thinking. To something. Oh, my. 
I'm going to throw myself out of the window. Holy shit. Hope I don't fly. Uh, Yeah, I think I've definitely thought there must be a reason. And all that magic surrounding that area, maybe he's on to something. We don't know. We won't know till we get that book. Honestly. You're on. (laughs) Euron tells Victorian he wants the world and offers a cup of wine. But Victorian refuses and tells Euron to cover himself because, of course, he comes out with his cock all swinging. Right. He's like, here's a fur cloth and my cock. I just finished banging my bitch. Uh, Euron sits, and he does cover himself up a tiny bit. Yeah, so, you know, Victarian refuses the forbidden fruit, right? In terms of the wine, in terms of, like, I don't know, any of these fucking things. Uh, and, you know, him refusing it shows, you know, his way of... It's like a metaphor, right, of him staying innocent and within the confines of his ways, like his religion... By innocent, I mean, like, not, you know, doing whatever the fuck Euron's doing, because Victorian is not innocent. He's guilty of a lot. Um, Euron thinks about dragons as basically pearls before swine for the Ironborn, and Victorian's like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, but, like, the grapes there, they're they're real, all right? The grapes in these vineyards, like, we can eat them and turn them into wine. And Euron says, okay, but, like, dragons bring woe, and then he tells a story about this mirish wizard that he killed for failing to birth dragons, like, on his timeline. And then he reveals that Mm -hmm. Kragorn, who blew the horn, that horn they were talking about earlier, died with charred lungs. And (laughs) Victorian's like, okay, but, like, fine, show me the dragon's egg. Yeah, liar. He doesn't say that. But Euron says, oh, I had a tantrum and threw it in the sea. And then maybe Roderick was right. A big fleet could never go all the way to Slaver's Bay. Uh, but, you know, it's just too long and too perilous. But I I do think only the Iron Fleet could do it. And it's like, wait, but that's Victorian's fleet? <sighs> yeah. I love the theory that Radio Westeros did that, of course, that he sold the egg to a faceless man to kill Balin, which feels pretty real, right? But there's also kind of a theory floating around that's been around forever that he uh, had one of his wizards, you know, he slew his wizard before he could catch the egg, that he's like so impatient and flimsy, which is also really funny. The former's probably true. I don't know. Who knows what's happened? Maybe we'll get the truth of it someday. But the idea that Euron couldn't hatch an egg or couldn't be patient enough, or couldn't figure it out. Love it. It's kind of funny, because, like, if anyone's willing to do the things that it would take to hatch a dragon egg, whether it's killing someone or killing a family member or something, uh, I think Euron could do it. He definitely seems capable Mm -hmm. of all this. And I do think it's- I think it could be both. Like, I do believe that he sold the egg for for the Uh Faceless Men thing. That's possible. But also, he still could have, like, killed the wizard- you know, before he sold it, when he was like, I don't know, well, trying to hatch it was too hard, so it's gotta be Kill worth my fucking brother. something. Yeah. Yeah. Euron offers another drink to Victorian with strange, thick black wine. Victorian looks at the one Euron didn't offer, thinking it looks a little bit more blue than black, and tries a bit and then spits it out. Blech. Good for he you. He wonders if Euron meant- I know, right? Euron's trying to fucking dose him. He wonders if Euron meant to poison him, but he says he's opening his eyes with shade of the evening. Jesus Christ. He found a cask in Karth with spices, silks, sorcerers, and a story. One presumed to threaten me, so I killed him and fed him to the other three. They refused to eat of their friend's flesh at first, but when they grew hungry enough, 
they had a change of heart. Men are meat. Baylor Blacktide's warnings are echoing in Victorian's head right now, like with big sirens, Kill Bill siren <laughs> going off. Uh, rip, Baylor, still miss you. Uh, men are meat. Meat house men. Men house meat. Men are the houses of meat. Meat is housed house in men. The house is made of flesh, and so he begins to scream. Oh, that's a- that, Wait, I'm men. sorry, that was the gingerbread man. That was the gingerbread man joke. <laughs> My god, it's the same thing, Eliana. Is he made of house, or is the house made of- <sighs> meat flesh which i guess like meat house man style this makes euron the handler uh but i want to come back to him dosing victorian there because i'm sure he's uh uh we we see this isn't the last time for him trying to dose people with this stuff that's like a big you don't just put lsd on someone's tongue dude yeah that's like pretty messed up that's pretty unethical but i think it's probably the least of the unethical things that euron has done also if it works anything like LSD, I mean, listen, this is like some MK Ultra shit. Like Euron is literally pulling MK Ultra moves every goddamn week. I feel yeah. like with his brothers, it's really fucked up. Like, so you're gonna dose him a bunch and brainwash him further? What are you gonna do after you dose that, him? I'm scared for Victorian. That does seem like his goal. That does seem like what he's trying to do. You know, by like having him drink, weaken him, and yeah, I mean, like it does leave you vulnerable there for a second. Like I thought it was kind of funny. Funny, you know, the the meat house man the meat, men are meat thing speaks to brand's chapters a little but like that the wizards refuse to eat their friend and i'm like but y'all were trying to eat Daenerys? like <laughs> who's fair she would taste better who's fair game to eat no i don't think she would have tasted good at that time she was like really starving from walking through the desert their friend is a better meal and uh, he's been yeah, living but her large. jeans taste good that's probably her true. jeans taste good and i guess that guy you like, gotta understand she's got dragon blood yeah. you know like that taste that's like the wagyu a5 <laughs> like experience i guess so because like that guy now that i think about it he's like you know yeah sometimes you want dry aged stuff but like i think he's a little too aged from you know he's jerking now probably i guess well also <laughs> just to, they're also eating her like not for nutrition necessarily is the other thing right like they were cannibalizing her for mother of dragons magic. magic purposes where here it's out of hunger and not yeah. out of magic so it's uh it, it's an interesting transition because they do have magic in them too anyway but like mm-hmm. yeah yeah thinking of the trees obviously yeah so. But also, I don't know if also, is this like a strange, a little bit of a, an homage to that, I think it's a Twilight Zone episode, or maybe it's not Twilight Zone, but one of those kinds, Outer Limits or something, where they go, and the meat thinks, and the meat talks, and it's like two aliens, like, who look like people, they're in a diner, and they're talking about us, we're the, like, the humans, that, because, like, they're like, I don't know, robot aliens, and they're like, the meat thinks? Yeah, uh, it's, they're made out of meat, it is, it's a- Terry Bisson. It, it it was a short story that was like adapted yeah. uh cinematically and I don't know, during that black and white arrow shit. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who adapted it. It's a short story. It was turned into a small video by Stephen O'Regan. Okay, that's what it what was. Did it Stephen air on? O'Regan. I'm not sure. I can't tell you that. That's all I've got for you. Hmm. Well, we'll never know. Yeah, I definitely see the brand connection though, to what you were saying. To what you were saying. Not just the Stephen O'Regan's meat. Oh, I think the, meat is man. Yeah. The big point is they will eat a five wagyu beef, Targaryen beef. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. Nom nom nom. 
Euron says he needs a wife and that he needs heirs. So now it's Victorian's job to go get that girl. Get that get that A5 Wagyu. Go get that girl. Victorian thinks, I used to have a wife I loved. I should beat Euron to death. Yes. Yes, you should, Victorian. That is the... I'm sorry. Honestly, actually, it <clears throat> instead, would save a lot of people like grief if Victorian had just killed his brother instead. George R. R. Martin the most, you know? Yeah. The most grief. <laughs> think of how much, think of all this plot line that he could have just not written. Victorian just killed his brother. Instead, Victorian's like, you have sons, Euron, which all of us keep forgetting about. Yeah, but I Euron doesn't that they think they're till this read through, to be honest. A hundred percent. Euron doesn't think they're fit to sit the sea stone chair nor the iron throne. He needs the last of her line. The fairest of them all. With silver gold hair and amethyst eyes and A5 Wagyu beef. <laughs> Victorian says, why should I? For love. For duty. Because your king commands it. <laughs> and for the sea stone chair. It is yours once I claim the Iron Throne. You shall follow me as I followed Balin. And your own trueborn sons shall one day follow you. My own sons. But to have a trueborn son... A man must first have a wife. Victorian had no luck with wives. Euron's gifts are poison, he reminded himself. But still. The choice is yours, brother. Live a thrall or die a king. Do you dare to fly? Unless you take the leap, you'll never know. Euron's smiling eye was bright with mockery. Or do I ask too much of you? It is a fearsome thing to sail beyond Valyria. I could sail the Iron Fleet to hell, if need be. When Victorian <laughs> opened his hand, his palm was red with blood. I'll go to Slaver's Bay. I, I'll find this dragon woman, and I'll bring her back. But not for you. You stole my wife and despoiled her. So I'll have yours, the fairest woman in the world, for me. This the sleep of faith. This is like the worst iteration of the lesson of a uh, Spider Verse that I've ever seen. Yeah, right. I mean, in true Victorian fashion, to beat his brother Daenerys, a woman no longer has a will of her own. Uh, he just imagines he can take the Mother of Dragons, the Queen of Slavers Bay, the last of the dragons. L M F A O, <laughs> laughing so hard. Uh, you know, and he's out here not afraid to wear armor. On his ships during battle? Good. Because you're already wearing the frying pan, the skillet that you're going to roast in, dipshit. I do find it interesting going back to Euron's sons, uh, who, like we said, so present, and I feel like I forgot all about them. <laughs> I, I find it interesting they're not up to par and he doesn't want to try to legitimize them in any way. That they're all children of concubines. He wants a pure dragon child. And it makes me think, going back to what you said about the Hightower and his bastardized understanding of visions and what he's seen, perhaps he's practicing his war baby making eugenics here because he has some sort of bastardized version of the prophecy, right? Like he has some sort of interpretation of Azora High, of the long night, and he's going about it completely the wrong ways, it seems. Yeah, he's going about it the wrong ways, but like something is going to happen from it, right? Like it's going to work. It's going to unlock something. Lord knows what. And by Lord, I mean George. In the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, as you said, right, like, Victorian just, like, can't fathom that, you know, Daenerys might not want to 
be claimed, and it seems like Euron doesn't either, but I, at least I guess Euron has something to offer in terms of being a king and power, whatever, but I don't, I don't know how this is all going to play out, and yeah, like, what is he doing? Is he, like, dressed after the dragons, right? Or does he, does he just want... Everyone seems to just want to Daenerys as a Targaryen, not even like to have sons necessarily, just like the legitimacy. They're just like, what a great idea for me to have a Targaryen like dragon lord wife, just like as arm candy. And it's like, that's literally not what she is. It's funny because they don't really perceive the dragons as real threats. They just think they're, you know, they're, they're pieces of power. They're some of these trappings of power when it's like dragons are not movable like that. You might think they're small now, but they're still something to be kind of fought against already, right? Like, they are growing, and they are eating, finally. Yeah. Whatever they want most of the time. At least one of them is now. Shit. So. Technically. So. Yeah. And, and I think we should think of them as probably the size that they would have been given five years' time. Because that was the- that was, That's kind of what I do. Yeah. That was kind of the goal. Semantics, you know, semantics. Yeah. I'm just letting that one fall for George. I just imagine everything with that little extra little bit of a oomph for him. Yeah, exactly. Meet him in the middle. Meet house him man in the middle. Baby, <laughs> why don't you meet house me in the oh, middle? God. <sighs> well, what a blast of a chapter. We're Actually, though. setting east with Aziz next week from oh, History yeah. of Westeros. Can't wait to return. Setting east. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, and yeah, that'll be in April again, because we are taking a different journey this coming week with Sailor Moon Crystal Season 1. Yeah. We're going to use those stars to navigate, my friends. Actually, use them to navigate. Yeah. It's very different from the Victorian chapters. Actually, like, incredibly so in every single way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be pointing it out. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you want to keep up with when that next episode uh, for Sailor Moon or when that next episode of the disease comes out, you can with by following us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. And if you have an email, short or long, that you would like to send us, you can at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to us on a podcast platform near you, whether that is Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Acast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, you name it, we're on them. Somewhere that we definitely always are is on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to bonus episodes. And yes, this how this month's episode is Meat House Man. Yes, by Germ himself. Whoa. And of course, we do brunch every month, brunch slash happy hour for our Discord patrons that are in the Thunder tier or above, Discord eligible patrons. And last month's was, or this month's is 326 upcoming this weekend. If you're listening in real time, we will be announcing next month's in uh, the future, shortly in the future. So keep your ears peeled and your eyes peeled on your feeds for that. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thanks for listening to our podcast. GGCCU later. I've been waiting all episode to say that. I came up with that a long time ago. I have nothing to say. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>